This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Here with me, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hi. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm enjoying baseball. We're three weeks into the season. It like feels like the season now. I mean, yeah, you're the, right. It's just baseball season. Like, it's still too early to put like stock in every single number. I still think there's like four guys hitting over 400, you know, so that's not going to uh, continue over the course of the season. But we're, there's enough stuff that it actually feels real now. This might actually be my new rule of thumb. Baseball season doesn't start until no one's hitting 400. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's cool. I'm on board with that. So we've got some interesting stuff to talk about today. Um, we introduced a new stat called Sprint Speed, which is, I think, a really interesting way to talk about how fast guys actually run. So we're going to talk about that a lot. Um, Odubel Herrera made a really interesting catch in Philadelphia, or for Philadelphia. I think it was in Philadelphia, was in Philadelphia. the other night. Uh, we have to talk about uh, some of the guys we talked about over the winter who you know, tried to play through pain, and we, we can kind of look back and see what they're doing now. And then at the end of the show, we have to talk about uh, not only the fact that Adam Jones is playing deeper, that's going to be fun, but Adam Rosales. If nobody thinks about Adam Rosales, but you should because he's just one of the most fascinating players in baseball. Uh, we're going to talk about a really interesting play that he did uh, because how could you not talk about this weirdo thing that Adam Rosales did? First of all, let's talk about sprint speed, right? And we've been trying to, to think a lot about how to measure simply speed you know, on the bases in any outfield. So for now, we're just going to talk about in the outfield, and we'll get to the bases another time. And you know, I think at first we tried to do it in miles per hour because that's kind of the way people understand it. It just wasn't that satisfying, right? I mean, a baseball field is not miles long. Plays do not take hours. The scale just didn't make any sense. So what we've decided to do is look at this is how many feet per second did a player run in his fastest one-second window? And that solves a lot of problems because the other thing with miles per hour was if you got there for like a fraction of a second, that was your top speed. But that didn't really tell you you could sustain that. And when I look at a guy like Billy Hamilton, it's not that he gets to somewhere really fast and just holds it for a fraction of the second. It's the fact that he sustains it over six, seven, eight strides. So that's what sprint speed really aims to do. And I think it's going to be interesting, right? I mean, we've tried to, we put an introduction and we're going to start rolling this out more and more this season. And for me, the results are, are satisfying because I knew if we had a speed metric and it didn't have Billy Hamilton at the top, like you don't want to fit a stat to like go with your preconditioned expectations. But also, if it wasn't Billy Hamilton, people would say, what's wrong with this? It also, you know, it also um, helps explain great outfield defense because so much about great catches is speed. And, you know, we'll get to more of that when we, when we break down the Herrera catch. But that's really what it comes down to is sometimes, you know, you know, Billy Hamilton on a play that I would have to dive on, Billy Hamilton catches like and like walks backwards to catch, you know? So like I would have to go my absolute fastest to catch maybe like a semi-routine to even get to a semi-routine fly ball. And, you know, he could just like trot there. And if, and, you, and if you did that, if you laid out, right, for it, like a total Superman dive, everybody watching would just lose their minds, right? They'd be like, oh my God, that's the best catch I think I've ever seen. And maybe it is, you know, for you, it's the best catch you've ever made. But for like every other outfielder, it's a really easy catch. And that's kind of what we're trying to get to. It's not really about the eye test. It's not about did you make a cool dive or not. It's not about style points. It's did you get there or didn't you? And that's what we were able to measure. Yeah, and so so for for those who've been following, and we'll, we'll give a quick primer for those who have not maybe been following, is with catch probability, we break everything down into 
bands of stars. So a five-star catch is a catch that's made less than 25% of the time. Four-star is 26 to 50. Three-star is 51 to 75. And those are really the bands of, like, quote-unquote good catches. Two-star catches are pretty routine. That's 76 to 90. One-star catches are 91 to 95. And, like, zero-star catches are the cans of corn that are even... And there are so many of those. Yeah, exactly. So many of those. So anyway, the point is that, like, you know, when, when Tom Tango who sort of devised sprint speed, basically what, a good way to kind of look at it is that certain sprint speeds sort of fall into buckets. Basically, to make a five-star catch, you basically need to get to 30 feet per second, essentially. Yeah, and that's a good way to look at it. So, uh, as we said, the way this is measured is how many feet per second in the guy's fastest one-second window. So, we looked at outfielders last year, and the average is approximately 27 feet per second. I mean, that's kind of where your basis should be. And the, the range here is at the really, really... And that's when you're trying... That's like on your, your max... That's your, your fastest one-second okay, yeah. window, right? Because uh, that's when you should be at, so, you know, your full stride length, and that's 27 feet per second. So, if you average all the outfielders in baseball, the average of their fastest is 27 yes and and to clarify again we are just talking right now about outfielders running in the outfield right now it's not infielders or on the bases we'll get to that as well and i think that'll be interesting to compare but for the purposes of this show just outfielders uh so 27 feet per second is the average and the the range here is that the fastest guys right that the hamiltons the byron buxtons they get up to 28 excuse me 29.8 feet per second 29.7 feet per second almost 30 feet per second that's like the high end the really elite guys and the slowest guys, and by slowest, I don't mean like me. I mean like the slowest of guys who are still capable to be major league outfielders in the 24 feet per second range. So right there, that's six feet per second. Now, I know these guys are not running all out for the entire length of the play, but you can kind of see where this is going, right? Because if a ball's in the air for five seconds and these guys have a difference of six feet per second, right away, that's 30 feet right there. <laughs> you know, it doesn't actually work that way, but you get the idea. This is like, oh my God, this speed matters so much. That's an enormous amount of difference, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's, <laughs> and that's once you can sort of put those numbers to it, as I was saying before, it makes you realize why some guys can make plays look easy that other guys have to go all out and die for. Right. So what we looked at uh, last year is all of the outfielders who had at least 100 opportunities to make a catch. And it turns out there were 118 such players. And I was very happy when I got my first look at the leaderboard and I saw number one and two were exactly the guys I thought would be number one and two. Billy Hamilton, 29.8 feet per second. Byron Buxton, 29.7 feet per second. Now, I should say, since we are so, so new in this metric, I don't actually know for certain that that decimal point matters. You know, like you wouldn't use like 3.1 war is better than 3.0 war. We're still going to have to learn. Maybe that's a tie. I guess I don't really know yet. But for the purposes of our list, this is what we have. And now I thought was interesting. If you asked most baseball fans who are the top two fastest outfielders in baseball, I think Billy Hamilton would have won by a lot. I think Byron Buxton probably, you know, not Starting everybody knows people, him. Yeah. He's, he's, he's obviously not hitting, but the outfield defensive speed is fantastic. I don't know that there would have been a consensus number three, right? You would have had a, a couple of different names, and we have a couple of, the, of our names. Some of our favorites are high on our top ten list that we're looking at here. I was a little surprised to see Lorenzo Cain still high on that list from last year because it didn't seem like he had one of his better years in, in the outfield compared to previous seasons. Yeah, and what's fascinating about Cain is that um, we can break this down, sprint seed, on – catches versus hits to see like who goes their fastest on different types of plays. And Joe Posnanski wrote about this the other day. What's fascinating about Kane is he's one of the few players whose max sprint speed is slightly higher on outs, on catches that he makes than on hits. It's almost like he can he he can smell a catch yeah. and he can like 
find he finds like a slight extra gear. Most 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 guys actually run a little bit faster when they're chasing balls that they don't catch. Well, so you made a good point there. So let's let's back up for a second and look at the numbers on that. Uh, because we can track that, and you're absolutely right. In theory, a guy who is running to track a small white moving object might not be running quite as fast as a guy who's already missed that object and is just going full speed to try to pick it up. And that's true. And if you look at our sample, uh, outfielders who made the catch, as I said, the average, 27 feet per second. Uh, when going after balls that they didn't catch, it was 27.7 feet per second. So not a huge difference, but definitely somewhat of a difference. And for the purposes of our metric, the, the general reported value will be on catches because we're looking at baseball speed, right? And that's kind of the point is can you get to the ball or not? Uh, now, as mentioned, most guys run faster when not getting the ball. But it's really interesting that Lorenzo Cain didn't. It's kind of the thing I'd love to actually go ask him about, like explain this to him and say, do you know why this is? Like, what, what's this with you? Well, you know, it's it's sort of like the way they sit, kind of say like uh, – hitters can smell a hit where like they hit a ground ball and they know they've got a chance to beat it out and they kind of find their extra gear. It almost feels like it's a, the reverse of that for an outfielder when they're in the outfield. It's like, oh, wait, wait, I can actually catch this right. and find that extra gear, which I think is really cool and kind of makes me think of Kane in kind of a, a new light. So when, as I said, we had 118 guys we looked at. Uh, the average was 27 feet per second. A huge, huge majority of players fell between, say, 26 feet per second and 28 feet per second. We only had four guys who got to 29 feet per second. Now, as I said, Hamilton, Buxton, Lorenzo Cain were the top three. Number four, uh, not a name I think a lot of people know about, but it actually makes a lot of sense if you follow baseball closely, is Cain's Kansas City teammate, Paulo Orlando, who, as I remember, had this one year a couple years ago where he just went nuts with triples, right? Like, that was a huge part of his game. Was he had like six in April, I think. Yeah, it was like ridiculous. That. So, you know, whenever you put out a new metric, you want to look at it and say, okay, is this going to pass the smell test? Is this going to tell me, you know, Miguel Cabrera is the fastest man in baseball? Because I know we did something totally wrong, but no. So, if you look at number five, one of Matt's favorite players, who we've talked about in the show a lot of times, uh, can't hit at all, but he's He's got a great arm. He's a fantastic outfielder. Jake Marisnik. Yeah, line of the week uh, last week from Brad McTaggart when I was talking to him about Marisnik. Our Astros.com beat reporter. He said if that guy could hit, he'd win a gold glove. (laughs) It's sad that that is so true. Um, I'm looking down our list here. Uh, Tied right after him, uh, Travis Jankowski, who we've talked about. Kind of a similar player in San Diego. Not much of a hitter, but a fantastic outfielder. Max Kepler, who I thought was interesting because I knew he was fast. I never really thought of him as being like elite speed but he's actually made a surprising number of five-star catches in his and, brief and career yeah last and year he, and he, he made one last week although it was on the, more of a low liner that was less about yeah. raw speed but still and uh gregory polanco which i found interesting because uh, we'll actually talk about him in a second he played through a lot of injuries last year yeah. and then the, obviously there's also kevin kiermeyer right there also so. in our t- also in our top 10 but what's cool about this and i'm just gonna paraphrase and completely butcher a bill james quote but basically he's like when you're mentioned when you're inventing a new metric you know you want to reinforce your ex- expectations about like 90 percent of guys but you want to learn something new about like 10 percent of guys and I, I think i've done that i wouldn't have thought about max kepler in this way or paulo i guess maybe i wouldn't have thought of paulo orlando but just, so. he's not a name like when you think about him you think okay he's fast now i know the question everybody's asking already is well wait a minute wait a minute where's trey turner everybody wants trey turner to be the fastest man in baseball uh, he didn't qualify for this list just because he only played uh, half the season last year in the outfield, and so he didn't make our minimum opportunities list. And here's what's interesting. If he did qualify, if he played enough to qualify, he would have been sixth on this list. So I think people would be okay with that, right? He's top six. But here's what's interesting. He wouldn't have been the fastest rookie outfielder last year because placing third, also a guy who didn't play enough to qualify, tied with Lorenzo Kane would have been Andrew Tolles of the Dodgers, who's a really interesting story in his own right. And also Andrew Tolles... Um was at the heart of maybe my favorite sort of stat cast play we've had in the last three years, the Jason Worth gets thrown out at home plate by two miles play from game five of the NLDS last year. It was Tolls who sprinted to the corner 
and cut that ball off before it got to the wall, which might have actually been the key to the to the whole play. Yeah, absolutely. And then when I look at the bottom of this list, you know, you don't want to spend a lot of time crushing a guy. But what I like about the guy at the bottom of this list is that he's th- he was 35 years old last year. He had injuries not only to his knee but also to his toe. It makes perfect sense he'd be the slowest outfielder in baseball last year. It was Jose Bautista, which was once a very good outfielder. He's older. He's had injuries, and it's like okay, that that makes sense. That's not totally shocking to me. And the kind of guy that you know, you you. Depending on your roster, and the Blue Jays don't have this roster, you'd want him probably as a DH. You'd want him probably as a DH, and that's what's interesting is you can see the possibilities of this because we looked also at the previous year as well. Uh, he lost nearly two feet per second from 2015 to 2016, and that makes sense because, like I said, uh, he had foot injuries, he had knee injuries. So you can see, I think over time, this will be kind of interesting to look at injuries through this light to say, like, well, this guy here is how much slower he was. And uh, this is what we're going to use, I think, hopefully to continue our work in outfield defense. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to get to more outfield defense in just a second. But first, a quick promo about our good friends at the Fantasy 401 podcast. If you want to win your league this year and every year, Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach have the bases covered for you, no matter what kind of format you play. The MLB Fantasy crew has been there and won that, and they can help you win too. Last week, Matt and Fred broke down whether to buy into early season performances by outfielders like Nomar Mazzara, Byron Buxton, who we talk about on the show a lot. So I can't wait to hear what they're going to say about him. So before you set your lineup or hit the waiver wire, do follow the Fantasy 401 podcast on iTunes today. Did you watch baseball over the weekend? I assume you probably watched baseball. I watched some. A little bit of baseball over the weekend. So one of the things that stood out to me was uh, Odubel Herrera for the Phillies. Made a really, really nice I thought you were going to talk about his bat flip. Well, uh, well, we can go back to where he's the king of the uh, the Kelly Leaks plays too. We've yeah. talked about him on this show a lot. Yeah. He is also the king of bat flips. Um, I he was uh, on Saturday night, top of the seventh inning. Phillies are up two one against Atlanta, and uh, Dansby Swanson is batting. Swanson crushes the ball to right center field, hundred five miles an hour off the bat. I've already given away that this is going to get caught, so a quick sidebar. Poor Dansby Swanson. He crushes this ball. He's hitting 139, 162 on base, and here comes Herrera to go You know, take this like, easy hit away from him. Yeah, the NL Rookie of the Year race is suddenly looking a lot more wide open. With <laughs> it the, sure People does. have assumed Swanson and, Swanson and Benintendi were just going to roll the Rookies of the Year. Benintendi is looking that way, but uh, Swanson uh, is— uh, Aaron Judge might have something to say about that. Is he true. still eligible? I can never remember. Anyway, so uh, here comes Herrera. Makes a really nice catch, a 14% catch probability, which is a five-star catch. Um, he had to go 88 feet, and he only had 4.6 seconds of opportunity time to do it. You put those two numbers together, that ball is caught only 14% of the time. What I really liked about that play is he didn't have to leave his feet to do it. We've talked about this with Kiermaier in the past, I think, before. Uh, if you can make a play like that and you don't even have to leave your feet, that means you did something really right. You got there fast on a perfect route. That's really impressive, and that's the kind of thing where it's like, I think we can maybe use the data to help show how impressive that is, even if he didn't dive. Yeah, if someone if someone were to ask me sort of to like this is like maybe like the best example of uh, catch probability we've seen this of a five star catch this season because it's it's exactly what you're talking about. He didn't need to dive. It goes to show you that like great defense. This has always been my problem with errors, right? Right. To make an error, you have to do something right, which is get to the ball. So he made this look so easy that if he had dropped it. You could, he could have almost conceivably been charged with an error because he made it look so easy. Right. Whereas, meanwhile, a slower guy doesn't get there or has to dive and barely – that wouldn't have been – you're absolutely right. And this goes back to ERA. This, this is a whole lot of connotations. But the point is, like, this is like if you were looking for an example of like a five-star – this is what I would show someone. It's like this is great outfield defense. This is like the perfect example of perfect outfield defense from a super-fast guy. His sprint speed, 29.4 feet per second. 
which is basically Hamilton, Billy Hamilton-esque. Yeah, so that was on a single play. But as we said, uh, I, I guess I should clarify very quickly, how did we get to the averages? It's not the average of every single play in the outfield. We looked at the top 5% of their of their runs to get to the players where they're really hustling. We don't want to you know, kill a guy because he jogged for a ball that was three feet away. Obviously, that's not going to help anybody. So as Matt said, uh, sprint speed, I think, really helps tell the story there. If we know that Elite is almost 30 feet per second and he was running 29.4 feet per second, uh, that aligns with the eye test of him hustling and, and going nuts for the And ball. you certainly don't think of Herrera as having that kind of speed, but clearly when he you know, has a chance to really, you know, run, in this case, we ran him at 30 yards, like when yeah. he really gets, to, you know, to go. Well, he, he did steal 25 bases last year. So, but this is kind of the thing is I wouldn't think of him. There's a lot of really amazing center fielders. I think of him as being good, but I don't really think of him as like a Kiermaier and Ciarte kind of guy. But then I see data like this and it makes me kind of take a second look at Herrera. I mean, that's pretty impressive. So here's what I thought was interesting. Also on Saturday night, uh, the Mets were playing the Nationals. Nationals are up 3 nothing in the top of the six to Michael Taylor's batting. And Michael Taylor crushes a ball to right field. Curtis Granderson uh, hustles, and he makes a really nice diving catch. I mean, he laid out for it. Visually, this catch was fantastic. It's, I'm sure it showed up on the highlight catches. And, um, you know, we looked at the catch probability because everybody wanted to know, oh, is that a five-star catch? Well, it came out as 75% catch probability. That ball's caught three-quarters of the time. Here's where we walk the fine line between actually looking at the data and not trying to say, no, this cool catch you thought was cool wasn't cool. It was cool. Like, good on Curtis Granderson. He's not He's not a younger player anymore. He's not an elite outfielder anymore. He made the catch, and that's all that matters for the Mets. But it's interesting when you look at the data. So 75% catch probability on a play that looked awesome. Well, why is that? He had to go 67 feet, and uh, if you compare that to Herrera, Herrera had to go 88 feet. So right there, that's a difference of over 20 feet. He had 4.4 seconds to get there. Well, Herrera had 4.6 seconds to get there. So right away, you can see Herrera had to go 21 additional feet uh, in only 0.24 seconds. All right. So you can see where this is all going. Uh, Sprint speed, we said Herrera 29.4 feet per second. We said league average was 27 feet per second. Curtis Granderson on this catch, 25.4 feet per second. That is 4 feet per second lower than Herrera. And again, the point is not to kill Curtis Granderson. He did the job, absolutely. But if you're wondering why is that catch not like a 5% crutch probability. It looked so cool. A faster outfielder probably gets there a lot more easily, doesn't need to dive. Um, and yeah, that's one of the things I'm sort of interested to see with um, with sprint speed. Because I think that, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that my guess is Granderson is capable of going a lot faster than this. But in a given given moment, maybe you get a bad read. You don't really get, aren't able to kind of get your, your feet under you or get going as quickly as you'd like. And I'm sort of curious what kind of what, what the, 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 the range would be for a player who theoretically, like I'm sure Granderson felt he was trying to run his fastest on that play, but I bet you his fastest is probably, you know, probably around 27 feet per second or whatever. Just, I'm just guessing, but I'm, I'm wondering what we're going to see with certain players, like who guys who have a really wide range of, you know, max effort sprint speed. Right, and we, we are really uh, in the infancy of this. So those, that's like exactly the right question to answer, to ask. Uh, and I don't know the answer yet, but that's the kind of thing I'm excited to find out. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. And we can kind of do this all day with these catches. I think we should stick in the outfield for a second. Let's do it. All right. We have, uh, I, you know, about five minutes before this show went on the air, our good friend Darren Wilman at Baseball Savant published a new update where you can find all sorts of new things. One of those things is you can actually find outfield depth for a player or for a team, for an outfielder or for a team, uh, whenever you want. And that's not been public until literally a couple of minutes ago. So I think that's going to be very exciting for people. Now, since I had the benefit of actually being able to look at this data last week, uh, I went ahead and I wrote two pieces. One is that Adam Jones of Baltimore, after years and years and years of being the shallowest guy in baseball, is now finally playing deeper. And uh, we had one of our reporters ask him about it. 
sounds super thrilled about it, but he basically said, you know, the metrics guys, uh, they're smart guys. They think I play too shallow. If I play deeper, then I will potentially have better numbers, which we saw this last year with Dexter Fowler. It's not one size fits all, but it worked for Fowler. I can see it working for Jones. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago with the WBC catch, that amazing, iconic catch. He was playing like 14 feet deeper than his average for that catch. If he was playing as shallow as he always does, does he get to that ball? I don't know that he does. Probably, probably not. Probably not. He certainly doesn't make it. Isn't able to make the play as gracefully as he made it. Right. So it's really interesting to me that he, you know he's not the deepest center fielder now, but he is the deepest in comparison to last year, um, and that's a big change for a guy who's never really wanted to make that change. And as of a couple of days ago, when I wrote this, I thought it was interesting because the question is, okay, cool, he did that. Does it does it help the team or not? Right. And uh, we looked at batting at, at uh, yeah, slugging percentage on barrels, right? So barrels, if you don't know, are like the perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle that lead to a minimum of 500 batting average and 15, 1,500 slugging percentage. But the average of that is way higher. It's like an 820 batting average. And last year, the Orioles, they really got crushed on those batted balls. I mean, those barrels, I think they were one of the five worst teams in baseball, at, like being damaged on those kind of barrels. And I looked at it this week. They were one of the five best teams in baseball. Now, obviously, it's early in the season that can change a lot. But if it's true that Adam Jones is playing deeper, he might be preventing some of those doubles and some of those triples. Uh, the flip side of this is that the Orioles outfield still isn't that good, right? I mean, if you just look at their overall catch probability for the year, not not even worried about difficulty, just like the amount of catches they've made. I don't remember what it was, but it was something like seventh lowest in baseball. They're still not getting to a lot of balls because the sprint speed is absolutely not there uh, in the corners with Kim and Smith and Trumbo. But that's, I mean, that's not the the, the team they were. They, they didn't. They weren't designed to be a good outfield defense. You know, if the if the Rays were allowing you know, lots of these types of balls to, to drop, that'd be a problem because their team is built to have great outfield defense. The Orioles are built for dingers and bullpen. They absolutely <laughs> are. But I think that that's kind of like you can help your guys, but you, like positioning can help. Absolutely. Uh, but it cannot fix your problem. No. And I think that this, this, you know, what the stat you pointed out about them being better on preventing barrels thus far in the season. This is the perfect example when, you know, I sort of like, get kind of annoyed when I hear people will be like, well, small sample size, it's only April. It's, it's, you know, we're not saying this is the definitive new Orioles, you know, defense or whatnot, but it's like, hey, this is interesting. It's a big change from last year. Let's keep monitoring this yeah. to see if, if, it, if it is a thing all season or if it's just an April blip. As long as you're, as long as you like caveat it, like, hey, here's an interesting trend to watch and not this is a thing that will keep happening all season. What are you going to do? Not write about baseball to May 15th? Uh, our jobs just don't work that way. Now, what's cool is on the flip side, Every outfielder that we've, not every outfielder, but the trend has kind of been move back, right? Move deeper. Uh, and when we saw last year, McCutcheon moved shallower and it was kind of a disaster. The Pirates admitted it was a disaster. And now that he's back in center field, he's actually playing deeper again. Like, yeah, much deeper. Much deeper than he was. <laughs> like, three, like, like they'd moved him into 307, which was basically tied with Jones for the shallowest in the league. And now he's back to like 323. Yeah, I, I think uh, his first game back in center after Marte got suspended was, it was his third deepest game in center field in the last two years, but it was his first deepest game that did not take place in Coors Field because Coors Field is enormous. Um, so he's playing deeper. What's interesting to me is that while all of baseball is playing more deeply, I think center fielders on average are like four feet deeper than they were two years ago. Here's a guy who's playing way, way shallower, Billy Hamilton. And like, I, I know Billy Hamilton is not much of a hitter, but there, there are so many interesting things to talk about with Billy Hamilton. That's like the sixth different thing we're talking about him with. He's playing, as of a couple days ago, an average of 297 feet where some of the deepest center fielders are playing like 330 feet that yeah, is I mean, so it's, shallow it's, it's crazy the gap between 
the shallow. I mean, it's Carlos Gomez is at 331. He's at 297. That's 34 feet. It's so, so shallow. Now, the obvious answer here is Billy Hamilton is just obscenely fast, and he thinks that he can track down anything over his head. And I would trust him more than anybody else in baseball to do so. But we also saw him already get burned a couple times this year. They played the Orioles last week, and J.J. Hardy hit a ball over his head that I think had a projected distance of, like, 320-something, uh, and it landed for a day. <laughs> that's not great. Uh, so I don't know how long that's going to last. You know, they, they talked to Billy Hatcher, who's the outfield coach there and the third base coach, and he said, you know, it was about ballpark and wind and, and uh, opponent. And I looked it up. You know, they played the Orioles, and what did you just say? The Orioles crushed the ball. They played four against the Brewers, and the Brewers, what do they do? They crushed the ball. That didn't really fly to me. It was interesting, though. He is absolutely playing shallower at home than he is on the road. So I'd be interested to know why that is. I don't know if this is going to last all season long, to tell you the truth. It's fun to see, but... Stay tuned, I guess. Stay tuned is right. Um, so we got a couple more things we want to talk about here. Let's move on to hitters. You know, we talked a lot last year about maybe being able to use some of this data to uh, look at guys who are playing through pain and you maybe predict some bounce backs. So I actually did this in February. I looked at six guys. Um, a couple. I looked at a trio of guys who had wrist injuries last year. Byung-Ho Park, Michael Conforto, and Marcelo Zuna. And then I looked at Polanco, who had a, a bunch of stuff last year, shoulder, hamstring, foot, guy in the face. Carlos Correa, who played through an ankle and a shoulder. And Bryce Harper, who played through a neck slash shoulder slash he refused to admit it, but we all know it was something like that. So, you know, we're a couple weeks into the season. Uh, we can't really look at Park because he hurt his hamstring. He hasn't really played at all this year. And uh, what's interesting is, is it's not an across-the-board rebound or anything like that, but Harper's obviously off to a tremendous start. Marcelo Zuna is crushing the ball this year. He's hitting 306, a 355, a 354 on base, a 583 slugging. And then every time I, I turn around, Michael Conforto is doing something incredible. I mean, he's destroying the ball. The Mets are having such a tough start. He's got a 432 on base and a 722 slugging. That's really good. And I think not enough people realize that, you know, Michael Conforto played through a bad wrist last year. He got a cortisone shot uh, in, I think, May sometime. He got off to a really good start. Last year, yeah. And and then he went downhill from there. So uh, when I look at these guys, you know, the, who really stands out to me is Bryce Harper, right? Bryce Harper, you don't want to say, oh, he's back. He's he's back, right? He's back. he's back. Can we say that he's back? He's on base right now. I'm not making this up. His on base is 524. His slugging is 815. That is obscene. Those are ridiculous numbers. And when we looked at the data last year to kind of see if he was playing through pain, uh, and I think we talked about this here, the two things I'd looked at were if his right shoulder was hurting, he's probably not able to throw as hard. And we saw his average exit velocity on throws go down. And if he's not trusting that he can throw as hard, he's probably playing a lot more shallowly. So those are easy things to look up, and that's exactly what we did. So if you looked at him last year, first couple months, he was playing about 290, 290 feet from home. Uh, by this September, it was 280. All right, so April so far this year, 289. That's basically back to where he was. Uh, last year, his arm strength got a lot lower as the year went on. It was like 94-ish in the beginning of the year, down to like 89 uh, on max throws by the end of the year. So far, he's got the hardest track throw of any outfielder in baseball, 99 and a half miles an hour. Now, if that, you don't maybe don't need that to know that he's healthy because you're looking at him destroying baseballs. But if the question is just about health, uh, those are really good signs. Yeah, no, he 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 looks good, and he's also not only that he's he's using the whole field again, which is not necessarily always a good thing. But for someone like him with his power, because he can hit the ball out to all parts of the park, seeing him hit balls out to he gets incredible backspin on the ball. Just the ball just carries out to, to right center for him to center and right center. But then even last night Sunday night baseball, two sharp line drives to left field for base hits. So yeah. it's like that. It, 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 it makes it hard to shift him because both of them were just like line drives right through where he was being shifted. So like when he's doing that, hitting the ball hard to left field and also crushing the ball to right center field, it's 
He's impressive. Well, and that's what I like about using this data because, you know, I, as you said, uh, he's still hitting 400. So the season hasn't officially started yet, and he's not going to hit 400 all year. But you can say, well, that's a small sample size, but throwing the ball real hard is not and looking like he's playing deeper because he's got more confidence. And it's, I mean, his, his exit velocity is way up from what it was last year. Yeah, so, I mean, across the board, every every indicator you would want is suggests that the 2015 version of Harper's back. We are going to end on uh, not Bryce Harper, but Adam Rosales. Uh, if, if a lot of people don't know who that is, he's actually been kicking around for like eight years in the big leagues, maybe a little longer, uh, with the Reds. And he went back and forth with the Rangers and the A's and the, a bunch of times with the Padres last year. Now he's playing a lot of shortstop with the A's because uh, Marcus Semien is injured. And if you know one thing about Adam Rosales, it's that it's just the weirdest thing in the world. I right? would you like to explain why we're talking about Adam? Adam Rosales has the fastest home run trot in baseball, and it's like it's not close. Right, now we're not talking about inside the parkers. We're talking about over the wall, and where everybody else just kind of does a trot. Look at me, I'm cool. He goes full speed around the bases. It's like the coolest thing. And on on Saturday, he had the fastest over-the-wall home run trot time in the StatCast era. 15.9 seconds. Now, we looked at this last year, and he owned uh, 10 of the 11 fa- – I think he had 13 home runs last year. He had 10 of the 11 fastest home-the-home times last year on over-the-park home runs. He now owns 8 of the 10 fastest ever. Who are the other two? Billy Hamilton. It's always Billy Hamilton. Uh, his sprint speed, I thought this was interesting, 27.1 feet per second. Now, that sounds league average, but that's for outfielders. We haven't actually done this for on the bases yet. I assume it's probably a little slower because you've got to actually corner. Exactly. Right? So that might be above average. I, I truly don't know yet. Um, here's my favorite thing in the world about this. He actually ran faster on his 15.9-second trip around the bases than seven inside-the-park home runs in the StatCast era. Now, if you think about that, you're thinking, how is that possible? Who who can manage to get an inside-the-park home run running slower than that? And I will tell you this. I love a lot of things about my job, but one of them is I got to watch all seven of them this morning. They are fantastic because there's only, like, one that's legit. Uh, two of these, uh, Anthony Rizzo and Ryan Zimmerman, both got slower inside the parkers because the outfielders slammed into each other. Uh, one of them, when Logan Forsythe did it a couple years ago, it was the play where Alex Gordon, like, ripped his groin off his bone and was just face-first in the outfield. Uh, Ruben Tejada did it. It's slower than than uh, Rosales. It was uh, in New York where Dominic Brown, who was with the Phillies at the time, somersaulted over the right field short wall and basically just landed on the seats, and there was nobody the ball in the right just, field. Like, dribbled into the right field corner. <laughs> right. Uh, there was one, in, uh, Phil Gosselin did it a couple years ago, where the ball hit like just at the top of the wall, and it kind of laid there because there was uncertainty about whether there was fan interference or not. This is these things where you can measure these things, and they're all right, but baseball is such a weird, great, dumb sport sometimes that these outlier things pop up. Uh, there were only two, I think, that were actually legit. Stephen Drew did it in 16.7 seconds last year, and it was just, just bad defense. They were slow to get to the ball. They were slow to throw it in, and it, the throw was offline, so he didn't have to be going nuts to get there. And then James McCann did it in 2015 in Minnesota where there was just a really weird bounce off the center field wall where it went like right past the right fielder, and he had to go all the way back to get it. So I don't know. That's, that's not really anything that's analytical so much as how did he do it faster than seven inside the Parkers? Well, five times really weird stuff happened. Um, but Adam Rosales, right? So yeah. are, we, are we calling him a, a, a Hall of Famer, a StatCast yeah. Hall of Famer? Yeah, we are, we're going to start a, 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 weekly, um, a weekly segment. Uh, every week at the end of the show, we're going to be uh, inducting a play or a moment into the StatCast Hall of Fame. And what better way to uh, launch the StatCast Hall of Fame than Adam Rosales' record-setting home run trot? I just watched next week. He's going to do like 15.8. Maybe we'll have to put him in again. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And, you know, sometimes we can use this data for fun, not just crazy analytical stuff. So that is our show. That's the MLB.com StatCast podcast for this week. I'm Mike Petriello. It's Matt Myers. Catch you next week. Okay. 
Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.